This episode is brought to you by Cartier. The Cartier Tank Watch was born in 1917 of a powerful vision. The culmination of a lengthy design process that swept aside traditionally round watches of the time. Rectangular with geometric lines and a sleek profile, it revealed a powerful design that was destined to become a watchmaking icon. Shop the tank collection and more from Cartier's Culture of Design at Cartier.com. Welcome to Who, What, Where with Hilary Kerr, your direct line to the designers, stylists, beauty experts, editors, and tastemakers who are shaping the ever-evolving world of fashion. I'm your host, Hilary Kerr, and our guest today is celebrity colorist, Jenna Perry. Jenna is the owner of Jenna Perry Hair, a salon in New York City that's responsible for head-turning looks on ladies like Dua Lipa, Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, and the list goes on and on. Jenna specializes in beautiful, subtle, in-between shades of blonde, brunette, and red, and it's her signature lived-in balayage that's made her a favorite among her celebrity clients. In this episode, you'll hear about Jenna's low-maintenance approach to hair color and the actual work that goes into making it look so beautiful. Plus, we hear her thoughts on what's driving hair trends and how to approach a color consultation. It's all coming up on Who, What, Where. All right. You ready to do this? Ready. Okay, good. So (laughs) you grew up in Newport, Rhode Island. Can you tell me a little bit about your earliest memories of hair? Did your mom do your hair? Mine used to cut mine. And basically like I now look back and like the bangs started here and then it was like down to my waist. It was actually like a really radical mullet in some ways. But I'm curious about what your childhood experience was like with hair. So... I was a gymnast and a dancer, a ballerina. And so my mom, you know, would of course do my hair in a gymnastics ponytail or ballet bun. Yep. But also I was incredibly close to my dad's mother, my Nana and my aunt. And they were beauty girls, like Italian, spent lots of time in the salon. So I would always go to the hair salon with my aunt who had such a great relationship with her stylist. And I just fell in love with the community and just being a part of that world. It was so inspiring to me at such a young age. Well, it's magical. And it's like getting to see what the big girls are doing. And I very much understand that feeling. Did you ever experiment with your own hair as a kid or as a teenager? Oh, of course. My (laughs) friends, really, they were uh, my experimental dolls. Really? Yeah. My two best friends growing up, Caitlin and Crystal, I would go to the beauty supply store. And at the time, my family lived in downtown Newport. I spent so much time with my Nana there. And we would go to the beauty supply store. I'd throw bleach on their hair. And they were both platinum blonde, like all through middle school, because they were just my guinea pigs. And like at the time, we would do it and then go around the corner to the candy store and come back and rinse it out. And that was my thing back then. 
I mean, that's a lot of trust and faith, though. I mean, it's yeah. really like speaks to a certain level of understanding that you knew what you were doing or that you were figuring it out. How would you know what to do in these situations? Because you hadn't gone to hair school yet because you were a kid. Yeah, I did not know what I was doing. I was just reading the packages and obviously I didn't have access to YouTube then or right, anything. Right. So we were just blindly doing it. Luckily, I never burned their hair or fried anything. So those days were pretty funny. That's amazing. So you eventually end up going to hair school right after high school. It's clear you knew what you were interested in and what you wanted to do. Can you tell me a little bit about what that education piece of it was like, if it surprised you, if you liked it? Because I f it's interesting when you have a vision and you know what you want to do or the direction you want to go and you want the rest of your life to start as quickly as possible, but then there sometimes can be a disconnect between this is what I thought and this is what the reality is, or it's quite seamless. So I'm curious about your own experience. You know, I really knew in my gut that I wanted to be a hairdresser, be in the beauty industry. And luckily my parents were like, okay, you can always go to college down the road. So right after high school, I took a month off and then I went to Paul Mitchell and I grew up on an island in Rhode Island. So leaving, crossing the bridge to go to hair school was like such a big deal for like a small town girl. So <laughs> I would get in my little like dinky car and get to school and be so inspired. I met so many different people. Some people were older and every walk of life was going to cosmetology school. And I just remembered loving every second of the education. The hardest part for me was being a lefty because there aren't many lefties in the world. So I had to learn everything backwards or, you know, in a different way. Would you translate that to the correct way for you or did you just go with it? I just went with it. They handed me righty shears and were like, figure it out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. That's intense. Was it clear from your time there what you would later become really attracted to or specialize in? Or was it sort of like, I'm just learning everything and we'll see how it goes? Yeah. I mean, in cosmetology school, you learn hair, skin, and nails. Mm -hmm. I learned it all. I didn't hone in yet, but I just wanted to learn everything. It's interesting when you find something you really like, suddenly the learning part of it is just like such a joy versus I know for me, like if it's an area I'm not interested in, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill. Totally. Okay. So you finished school, you moved to New York. Talk to me about what that time was like, how you found a job, what you were doing. My first job post-college was in New York, and I, as a girl from San Diego, was like very overwhelmed, but it was also incredibly exciting. Yeah. I mean, I was so overwhelmed by moving to the big city. It was something I talked about since I was a kid. I really knew that I was going to end up in New York. Again, you know, with my dance life in the beginning, I was coming here and taking dance classes. So when I moved to New York, I was thought I'm going to do hair and I'm going to dance. And I got here in 2005 and I took my time finding a salon. I was really shy and I was really intimidated by the big salons. When I'd walk in, I felt like the energy was so uptight and I grew up with 
my mom like worked in the community and she was a dancer instructor. So I was so used to like warmth. Yeah. So I kind of was like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready for this. And yeah, so I found this salon in the East Village. That's kind of like, I say where I grew up, although I, you know, grew up in Rhode Island, but in my late teens and 20s, I grew up in the East Village and I just wanted to find a place where I felt comfortable. And that was, you know, they welcomed dogs and there were just like all of these cool people with tattoos and it felt very down to earth. And she had two locations in Chelsea and the East Village. So we bounced back and forth and she was pretty open to, you know, I wanted to do everything there. And so she was open to me exploring that. And so from there, I met through my friends and my ex-boyfriend, so many people in the downtown world. And that helped me get to know all of these fashion hairdressers. And I assisted on a bunch of photo shoots, which was really fun. I kind of like dabbled in everything while also staying behind the chair and kind of learning how to cut in color from a ton of different people. So it's interesting because I do think that those early days in our careers are so important for a variety of reasons. I mean, they're formative in every way. You're learning all of these skills that you don't necessarily know like how it's going to relate to your future work, but it ends up doing so in lots of different ways. I'm wondering if you can tell me about some of those skills that you were learning. I'm sure like set etiquette and you know all of that stuff is part of it too, right? Oh yeah, totally. You know, when you're assisting a major hairdresser, you need to be one step ahead of them and make sure that they're completely prepared for what they are doing and what they need. And you kind of just have to be a fly on the wall and observe. And that was a big learning lesson for me. Also, you know, like I said, I dabbled in everything. I learned how to cut men's hair with a barber and I just at that time was like, I want to know it all before I really secure what I'm doing, what I want to focus on. How is editorial different than being in the salon with clients? I'm curious about like the pros, the cons, what you liked, what you didn't like, because they feel quite different from my perspective, but you're the one who actually knows. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was doing that for maybe like four or five years in my career. And it was really incredible to see, you know, a final image and it's a long, long day. And for me, it wasn't fast paced enough. Mm. I love talking to people and making them feel great about themselves. And in that world, you're doing that, but it just, it wasn't enough for me. I really loved being in the salon behind the chair. So at what point did you start to really realize that color was your specialty? Because it's also an interesting thing. Like, I think a lot of folks can do both, but for other people, it gets to a point where they're like, yes, I could do both, but this is actually like really what I love. And color is particularly interesting to me because of any aspect of beauty, it's the area where you have to use both sides of your brain in such an interesting way. Like there's the art, and then the very specific chemistry to it. So I'm hoping that you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Now that I think back at it, I was always more excited about color than I was cutting. And when I 
moved to Ion Studio, which was in Soho. I built the confidence to actually get to a big girls salon. And I walked in and the three guys that owned it were so lovely and inviting. And I kind of was like, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not as good as these people, but let's give it a try, whatever. And once I was there, I was working with some of the best colorists ever. And I learned a lot from taking the classes that they were giving me assistance. And I learned from watching and just practicing. And from there was when I developed my love for balayage and the hair coloring that I do now. That was it for me. It's interesting. So Jen Atkin is a dear friend of mine. We've known each other like since she was a receptionist at Chris McMillan many, many moons ago. And we've talked about it over the years about how important the continuing education piece of it is in that world. Obviously, she doesn't deal with color, but, you know, she was always like, whether it was assisting people or taking classes or asking other, you know, hairstylists, like, how did you do this? Or why did you do that? Like that piece of it, like you're always updating, which is kind of a cool thing because there's always something new, right? It's so important. And I think it's a personal journey. You have to be hungry for more knowledge and technique and, you know, you have to do it. With me for hair color, like if you mess up and I tell my clients this a lot, like it's fixable unless there's like a crazy chemical haircut, which doesn't really happen, hasn't happened with me, knock on wood for a long time, but it's fixable. Bad hair color is easier than a bad haircut. Right. Because you can change the color. You cannot regrow something the next day. (laughs) So speaking of color, like how did you develop your eye there? Because there's that old truism about like, you're supposed to bring in a picture of what you want. Mm -hmm. And especially as you were starting and sort of like honing your aesthetic, I assume it would be, there would be moments of difficulty where a client is bringing you a picture of something and you're like, that will look terrible on you because of your skin tone or your hair or like whatever it is. But then at the same time, it is a client-based service. So you have to, on some level, give them what they're asking for. How would you navigate that or even like train your eye to know that what they're asking for is not actually what they should want? Yeah. I mean, it's a collaboration. You know, you have to listen to the client. The consultation is the most important part. The way I developed the way I color hair was really like being inspired by my niece and children's hair. And this was, she's going to be 11 next month. It was 11 years ago and she was a baby. And I'm like, look at her hair in the sun in the summer. It's just so bright around her face and there's so much depth in the back. And so I really like used that and brought that into my daily color with my clients. But back to your question about the pictures, they're so important. I still think like, (laughs) please bring me pictures and let's talk this through. And what is your daily schedule like? And are you in the sun often? You know, there's so many parts of hair color that are so important when you leave the salon. Okay. So to your point, it's interesting too, because I think folks might ask for one thing and you're like, this is super high maintenance. You're going to have to be in here all the time. Mm -hmm. Like if you're cool with that, then great, let's move forward. But Mm -hmm. I totally forgot about, in addition to the chemical piece of it, the artistic and aesthetic piece of it, on top of it, there's also the psychology of it. Oh my gosh. That's a whole other story. 
Yeah. I don't do high maintenance hair. I had to like really go with my gut here. A manager years ago told me you're never going to be successful because your clients leave looking just a little different. And that's the hair color I do. And I live in New York City. Like we're busy people here. The hustle is real. And I love the fact that I can be like, bye, I will see you in four to six months. And this hair color is just the gift that keeps on giving. You know, if you want to come back for a glass school, but high maintenance hair isn't something that I do. And I think after being a hair colorist for 17 years, I can allow that. Yeah, very much so. Talking about New York hustle, speaking of which, in 2019, you opened your own salon. That is a huge leap and a lot of hustle and scary and exciting and all of the things to like plant your flag in the ground and say like, I'm doing this. So what made you decide to want to do that? What were sort of the resources and capital that you needed? And what did you want to do that was different than what else was out there? Like why? Why do that? I have a huge community here and I've had clients follow me from East Village to Chelsea to Soho, back to the East Village for years. And At the point where I stopped cutting hair, my clients that I was cutting for eight years and up, they trusted me to be put in someone else's chair who I was, you know, working with at the time. So I think that, you know, in 2019, when I opened a salon, I wanted to create that community, that feeling of my friends could come and hang out while I'm also doing clients. Now my new salon is way more that because, you know, my ninth street salon in 2019 was 600 square feet. I thought at the time it was so big and, you know, we grew out of that really fast, but I did it with my savings. I didn't take any investment. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, gosh, torture, you know, but, (laughs) but it was really worth it. And I really like to have a whole like grip on the culture and my business. And I knew that I was trusting the fact that it would come back to me. And you also had proof, which is that you had a great community of people who were your clients. So yeah, proof of concept before launching, which is always a good thing, right? Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about your process, because obviously consultation is a big part of it. Your ethos, no high maintenance hair is a part of it. But what else when you're taking on a new client, like what is the experience like? Who's like the right fit for you, basically? Because I feel like it's a mutual selection process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the great thing is with Instagram, everyone does their homework now. <laughs> you know, so if I ever have the client who's like, I want to have the full foil, I'm like, I'm not your girl. Sorry. I know how to do that. I don't want to do that to you. But I recommend, and this goes across the board in my salon, that every new client sends a photo of their current hair and then their dream hair. And that just right away gives us an idea of what they're looking for. You know, a lot of them write little descriptions. So that's very, very helpful. And then you know, when they come in, it's just a whole like five minute consultation. I love to like see the way you dress, your lifestyle, your career, and we kind of take it from there. But I've been doing it for so long. I don't know. It just kind of comes naturally to me now. So a lot of our listeners are thinking about 
fall hair because there's something about back to school and the changing of the seasons where I feel like everyone has like, now is the time to assess. Like, what am I going to do? We want to change. We're coming off of beachy days. We might need some repair. What are some of your tips or tricks that everyone should know before thinking about updating their hair color in fall? Like, do you want people to come in? Like, do you want them to work on like getting it as healthy as possible before they make any moves? Does it matter? Like the lifestyle change is certainly part of it. Like you're not going to be in the sun in the same way. Yeah. Well, I think with the pandemic, a huge problem is hair loss. And that comes from a lot of stress, you know, and everything else that we've been through. So I've noticed that a lot in women. And for that, you know, it's no new news, but healthy scalp really helps promote hair growth. Also, just keeping your hair healthy is very important. I've been working with Living Proof right now on this new product, Triple Bond Complex, which is incredible. I call it the anti-aging cream for your hair. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah, it's so incredible. But healthy hair is so important. For me, you know, like you said, just come in as your hair is. That's also something that you can do as well. Do you have any sort of particular wishes in terms of like, in a perfect world, a client would come in, they would have washed their hair yesterday and let it air dry, or they would have washed it two days ago. They would have no dry shampoo in it. They would have no product in it. Like, what is the perfect scenario for how someone should take care of their hair before coming to an appointment? So wash your hair the day before and come in air dried is my dream. I got it right. My first suggestion was right. I'm very proud of myself right now. Because the way I paint, if I'm highlighting, is based off of your natural part, your waves, the way, you know, your calyx rock. And so when I have that canvas, I can really like create the hair of your dreams. I didn't really think of it that way because I at first thought like back in the day, certainly like, oh, come in with styled the way that you normally wear it so that they can see that piece of it. But then you have product in it and then you've manipulated that cowlick and the texture might not be exactly what it really is. So thank you for that refresher. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, there are women that blow dry their hair every day and they don't wear their cowlicks. So in that case, (laughs) if you're going to wear a deep side part, even though parted in the center, although I know that's like so against Gen Z, like (laughs) whatever, you know. But yeah, then we communicate that. We talk about that clearly. So what colors are you starting to see ticking up in terms of requests? Like what are people wanting now? What are people thinking about for fall? Like what are the big requests that you're starting to get? So it's like slowly happening. I mean, I think the redhead thing has taken off and, you know, it's still sprinkled a little bit in my schedule, but I'm definitely seeing warmer brunettes. I really have a feeling that people are going to really go more blonde. You know, the Hailey Bieber blonde, the less is more blonde is so popular. And that's what I've been like screaming at the top of my lungs for, you know, the past eight years. But I, I have a feeling that women are going to really amp it up this fall with their blonde. I know that you don't necessarily want to take someone from one extreme to another, that that's not your vibe. But 
how would a listener know if a color would work for them? Like, can everyone be a redhead? Is it not right for everyone? Is there a way to do most things or no, not so much? Yeah, no, I think everyone could be a redhead. Again, hair color is a lot easier to change than a haircut. And I love doing a color transformation. If you came in, you're like, I want to be a redhead. I'd be like, all right, let's do it. We know how to do this in a temporary way. I mean, my client Grace Van Patten, for instance, I've been doing her hair for five or six years and we've made her every hair color under the sun. And I'm just like, let's do this. So it really depends. Okay. So there's a way to do it, but you just have to talk through with your colorist, like, this is what I want. Will this work? What is the lifestyle like on this? And I assume to some degree, like, what does that mean for the health of my hair? Because like, I remember at one point in time, I was talking to Justine Marjan, and she was saying basically like, you can be blonde or you can have long hair, but you can't be both unless you want extensions. Like there are just <laughs> certain things, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and no one wants long damaged blonde hair. Okay. So now folks know how they should come for their appointment, but what about after? Do you have any tips on like, don't wash it for this many days afterwards or only wash with conditioner the first week that you have that color? Because like, for example, red, I know is a more delicate color. It's hard to get out of your hair, but it also leaves really fast in certain places. So if they want to prolong the health and longevity of their color, what should they do in the time immediately following their appointment? So color-treated shampoo and conditioner is like number one. Do you have any favorites? I love the Co primary color. It's really good, simple. I do love the Living Proof Restore. It's the Daveness alchemic shampoo and conditioners are like pigmented. It's color depositing. I send my blondes and my red heads home with that every time. Like red hair, like you said, it oxidizes really fast. And the at-home care is so important for that. But yeah, it's all about masking and taking care of the health of your hair in between color treatments. So like not heat styling constantly not using 9 trillion products, not ignoring the health of your scalp, not trying to strip your hair, just those basic normal things. <laughs> I tell my clients, live your life, like go in the pool, go to the beach. That's my thing, like low maintenance hair. But yeah, the triple bond complex is actually heat activated, which is really interesting. So it's a once a week treatment. And if you blow dry it in, it's actually better. All right. Thank you. Hot tip for me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. So last question, which is what are you looking forward to? Like what's next for you? You've had so much success and also in like a really relatively short period of time, the world is your oyster. What do you want to do next, Jenna? Well, I really want to secure my team and I want to have the best team possible. All of my new assistants are straight out of hair school. So I'm developing an education program for them in salon, which is really my biggest challenge because my four other assistants who all work for me now came from assisting backgrounds. So I taught them how to paint. I taught them how to balayage, but all of these 
new people are fresh out of hair school and so inspired. So I am trying to find a way to really develop a perfect education for them. I can't wait to go on a vacation. (laughs) It's been a while. And then I think, I haven't said this out loud, but I think I want to study psychology a little bit because I really want to write a book about women in their hair. But I think the only way I can do that is if I get my facts straight. (laughs) I love this. I am here to buy that book when you feel like publishing it. Well, I just said that out loud. I haven't said that to anyone. Well, I personally would love it. So totally here for that. Jenna, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a delight. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. A huge thank you to celebrity colorist and the owner of Jenna Perry Hair, Jenna Perry. Make sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I'd also be so grateful if you would rate and review us. If you have any guest suggestions or any other feedback, drop us a line at podcast at whowhatwhere.com or you can find us on social at whowhatwhere. See you next Wednesday on Who What Where with Hillary Kerr. This episode was produced by Hillary Kerr and Laura Sim. Editing is by Natalie Thurman and Treehouse Recording in Los Angeles, California. Our music is by Jonathan Leahy.